You're listening to the Niagara Podcasters Network. Do we figure out an intro? No? In the heart of the One Dish with One Spoon Treaty Territory, Niagara's Sean Vanderclis and Carl Dockstader dish on any and all issues from a First Nations perspective. From pipeline politics to poverty to pan-Indianism and more, Sean shares his concrete curve lake take and Carl gives an urban Oneida angle. You are listening to One Dish, One Mic on the Niagara Podcasters Network. Welcome back <laughs> to One Dish, One Mic. We've been in a bit of a hiatus, but we wanted to make sure to get a special back-to-school episode in. Everybody's getting ready for back-to-school. But if you don't listen to this before school, you can still listen to it during school. You can listen to it on break. While you're at school. While you're at school. It might be more interesting than what the teacher's saying, right? <laughs> Just remember to smile and nod every, what, two minutes or so? Yeah, about that. Yeah, two okay. Minutes. Smile, nod. Yeah, yep, that's it. That's what earbuds are for, right? So you don't really have to... Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. So get your special One Dish, One Mic earbuds and <laughs> listen to all of our podcasts, including this one. So, today we have a very special guest. Uh, Ms. Jennifer Doxater has joined One Dish, One Mic. Welcome. Woo! Thank you. How are you this fine morning or afternoon or evening? It yeah. could be any time of day. <laughs> I'm very good. Thank you. Great. Awesome. So. I was just saying that's awesome. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you can tell we haven't podcasted lately. Our uh, we're not in sync anymore. Yeah, we're rusty. That's but, okay. but one thing that's not rusty <laughs> is Jennifer Doxater's educational background. So you're you're very educated, right? Yes, I am. Okay, what where uh, what kind of education did you get? I got mine out of a Cracker Jack box. I don't know how educated <laughs> are you, Sean. I'm getting there. You're getting there. Yeah, I bought the Cracker Jack box. I just need to open it up now. Okay, <laughs> where I actually I went to Niagara College, and you're going to Niagara College, <laughs> and we probably want to stay on their good side. So I have a high quality uh, post secondary education from an accredited uh, post secondary institution. They're wonderful. I love you, Niagara College. Don't be mad at me. <laughs> where did you go? I actually uh, during high school went to the Buffalo Academy for visual and performing arts, where I uh, actually am a classically trained vocal musician. So I wow. specialize. I did not know that. No, things, things yeah. to know. So then I went from there on to Temple University, where I worked on my bachelor's degree and part of my master's degree before life took over and brought me back to Niagara. Uh, I special my My degree at Temple was psychology, and my minor was women's studies. I specialize in childhood sexual abuse and addiction with a focus on Indigenous, such as it existed uh, at Temple University, because I was one of two Indigenous students at the entire <laughs> university. <laughs> so Fiona Apple and the guy from Law & Order went to Buffalo, uh, <laughs> went to the Buffalo Performing Arts Academy for yes. listeners. There's some fun facts. Yes. And Bill Cosby went to Temple. I don't know if that's a good thing <laughs> these days, but he did. Uh, and Elizabeth Tooker, one of the uh, anthrop- people who studied the Iroquois people from an anthropological perspective, did a lot of her postgraduate writing uh, and did work for Temple University, for people that don't know. So Temple University is is the opposite of the Cracker Jack Box uni- uh, University, <laughs> I think. It's, it's very well regarded. Is it top 50 American University? At the time, it, it certainly was when I attended. And, and our saying, because every university has a saying, yep. is uh, we're smarter. 
right. <laughs> Very simple. That's, that's, that's smart. Cut to the chase. You should right? have seen the commercials at the time. It, it was actually quite comical to be going to the university and and hear that we were supposed to be smarter. And of course, uh, the university is located in Philadelphia, so we're surrounded by uh, uh, Drexel University. We're Princeton University. Uh, so we're surrounded by Ivy League. So so it makes sense from a marketing standpoint that, you know, to attend a, a, an actual university, you would have to be of that caliber. That's awesome. I, I like it. That should be our logo, our motto. Yeah. We're smarter. We're smarter. <laughs> I, like, I like do better. Do better. Yeah, do better. Be better. <laughs> yeah, be better. So maybe that's where you got it. Maybe. How about yeah. how about bring the peace? <laughs> yeah, bring the peace. Sure. So uh, education has not gone well for Indigenous people, historically speaking. They're currently tearing down every John A. McDonald statue everywhere because he's, uh, he's a failed historical fi- figure with a failed plan for education for Indigenous people. With the exception of Ontario, we're welcoming those statues. Oh, okay. Oh, we're going to take them all in, Yeah, we're right? taking them all in. Doug Ford has a new 10-point uh, plan to bring all the John A. Uh, McDonald right. statues to on, back yeah. to Ontario. Make Ontario great again. <laughs> Right? Oh, I think so. A buck a statue. A buck a statue. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Trevor. <laughs> so education, uh, all all kidding aside, I mean, education has not, not been great for our people. It's been used as a tool with which to assimilate our people into the body politic of Canada, which was a disaster, a disastrously failed policy. Uh, I would say that the assimilation agenda is still ongoing. The Canada is still actively trying to assimilate Indigenous people into the Canadian ideology. Uh, but there's still a reason to go to school, right? For Indigenous people? Why? Oh, <laughs> that's not a small question. Uh, actually, I, I believe that, that it's critically important uh, that our people actually obtain higher education. We have to debunk the stereotypes of our people, as, and, and we have to understand that historically we've been taught as a people that we're lacking in value. You see that in all the statistics of homelessness, incarceration, uh, certainly in, in the missing and murdered Indigenous women. So, But we also have to remember that although in Canada the stereotypes of us are, are supremely negative, and the media coverage in general, other than on One Dish, One Mike, by the way, uh, that, yes. <laughs> that we're actually viewed as less than or needy or in need of. We have to remember that the actual true history of us is we've been here since the beginning of time. And our cultural knowledge extends all the way back. And having just attended a prophecy workshop yesterday... Uh, in which we talked about our origins and what we call, you've heard of AI, which is artificial intelligence. How about ancestral intelligence? Nice. Yes. (laughs) Hashtag. (laughs) Absolutely. And the true strength of Indigenous women, despite what we're, we're fed now as to our true value. So one of the ways that we combat that, and really what we actually need, is to retain that cultural knowledge continue to revitalize that, bring that into our everyday lives. But at the same time, we are an amazing people. We are amazingly intelligent, and we can excel at post-secondary. And when we do that and we bring both the, uh, the cultural 
intelligence, as well as the academic intelligence, and form the credentials in the academic intelligence, it strengthens the ancestral intelligence that's inherent in all of us. And really, that is what North America needs in general. They can't continue to operate this way. They need us, and it's now time for us to engage, and we can do it. I love it. So the what I'm gleaning from what you said though is that it's 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 our ways. I've been taught, and I was recently reminded that we're supposed to continue to grow as people. We're supposed to continue to learn to to keep learning uh, in any way, shape, or form. Knowledge is power, and the more we can learn, the better, right? So so I I wholeheartedly agree that that education, even though these institutions can be a little colonial uh, in their thinking and their mentalities, even though they still I still think they're dominated by rich white men in terms of the thinking and how the system is skewed and the hierarchy is slanted. But I still think it's it's in our benefit for for us to go. Where, where are you on that, Sean? I mean, what I'm, are you going to tell your boys? I'm I'm pro education 150. percent I will sign them up, and they'll be in school until they're doctors or whatever the case may be. Um, but I, I, I what I really want to stress is just just that resistance and that hesitation as to why our people might be second guessing if at post-secondary education is the right choice for them right like you said the historical implications play a huge part but it's not even just historical it's things that are happening now right um so for me i again education remains crucial to the development of of everybody every single person you said it best knowledge is power the more we learn, the better off we will be as a, as a, as a species, as a race, and as an individual. Um, so that's what I'm going to tell my kids. Go to school. No, it's good. I, I'm reading Robin Wall Kimmerer's Braiding Sweetgrass. I read it before, but I'm rereading it. Yeah. And she talks about how she went into post-secondary university or post-secondary education, and she had to decide between being a poet and being a botanist. And in her mind's eye, those weren't two disconnected fields. But in the eyes of the university, they were. So she writes this amazing chapter called uh, called Goldenrods and Asters. And what she talks about is how on, on a scientific level, there's not much value to the connection between a goldenrod and an aster. But on a poetic level, the, the, the shade of gold and the hue of purple just go together so perfectly that, that it creates this canvas upon which nature paints its beauty. And she tried to explain that when she was in the institution. And it just, it just didn't get through to her professors and her teachers and, and everybody else. So she, she got through the botany and she ended up getting her degree, uh, her bachelor's degree. Then she went on to get her master's degree. Then she went on to get her PhD. And now she's telling the universities why that's valuable and important information. <laughs> So there, there's a citizen Potawatomi representing and reshaping the entire institution in, in her vision and going along with our teachings, too, that, that goldenrod and asters are, are valuable and they're valuable beyond just fancy Latin names and, and whatever hierarchical structure you can, you can give to them. And I think that that's the key message to give. And, and you know, thanks for telling that story. That's, that's a perfect example. It's going to take all of us reaching back to our cultural knowledge and learning and having that foundation of who we are as Indigenous people from that traditional perspective, but also bringing that knowledge out into the institutions. We have a different way of learning and thinking and being as well, where in Western society, and thank you for bringing up the hierarchical structure and and the male-dominated nature of 
higher education, but society in general. Women have to have a voice in that. There has to be a shift to the value of women's knowledge. And it was interesting yesterday, again at this prophecy workshop, in addition to hearing great teachings from Tom Porter, then we had a clan mother from his nation stand up and give the woman's perspective. And she talks about the difference between feminism and traditional women's roles and men's roles and what that is and where that line is. And ultimately, we're coming to a crisis point on the planet where we can't deny global warming and what's actually happening, something that women are deeply connected to. She talked about engagement of indigenous women's knowledge into the body politic in general and how it's now time to activate women. Let's face it, men have brought us to the brink of extinction on the planet. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, again, it wasn't indigenous. Indigenous men haven't had a role in that. Off the hook. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but non-indigenous white men have brought us to the point of virtual <laughs> losing our planet, and yet we'll continue to deny that that's happening. And now it's time to shut up, sit down, and listen to the women. Let the women lead. That's what we were born to do. We're the first teachers. We're natural leaders. And we care about everybody. Men, women, uh, two-spirited, every living being, every living thing on this planet. So it is time to sit, sit down and listen to us. Let us lead. Hell yeah. Yep. Good thing I'm sitting. <laughs> You're all going to want to sit down to listen to this podcast. <laughs> we should have thrown that in earlier, but it is what it is. Yeah. That's podcast life for you. So, All right, so 11 and a half minutes in, the general public and our millions of listeners, I think, are convinced that education is good for indigenous yep. people, right? Uh, but I'm sitting here with two formidable letter writers. Uh, you guys have been writing letters to post-secondary institutions lately. Are they love letters? <laughs> <laughs> I was concerned when actually it was uh, the first that I saw it was on social media, actually, that a retired professor at Brock University had written some pretty racist things. And the more that I read, I was like, what the? Heck, I thought this stuff was over. You know, I'm I'm always hopeful that we'll get to a point where where racist attitudes and beliefs will will end. But what really got to me is that this person lives in Niagara, and this person never wants to see another Indigenous person uh, for the rest of their life. Now, I don't know how old this person is when I'm when I'm here, but I'm thinking about the sixty thousand of us who live in the Niagara region, Indigenous people, sixty thousand Indigenous people live in the Niagara region, and you're hoping not to not to have to interact or speak to one of them again. And then I thought of my little nieces who are in school, and I think of Sean's children who are in school, and I'm like, when will we be safe to be us? And on that note, I immediately hopped on, and I wrote to the president of the university, and I cc'd one of the trustees from Brock University, who are who's a friend of mine and just basically said I think that that we need to address this. Now he is a new president, he is a man of color, so I have a little bit more faith that something can happen. But in my letter I actually talked about the fact I've been hearing these stories from our people who have faced racist attitudes from professors as recently as last year who end up in my office to talk to me about it 
crying in my office from the pain of having to listen to prejudiced ideas and dismissive uh, attitudes by professors at Brock University. So it's time to do something about it. And I said, I have every confidence that you will. And sure enough, a statement comes out within hours, and actually I'm getting a call from the, from the trustee that was CC'd in on the email, and I'm saying, can I get this message out? Because I want the university to be successful. They're a partner to the Friendship Center. I've had good relationships with them, and I'm there to help them improve when they actually listen to me. So there was an example of actually being listened to. And then I see that, that uh, my good friend Sean has written to them as well. I see that Celeste Smith has written to them as well. And these are important letters. It's what, what brings the credibility to what I did? Part of it is my education and my position. And that's why I took the job. That's why I got the education. I need the people to be able to use that to the positive to implement the change on behalf of us all. I'm simply a servant of the people. That's how I operate. That's how I exist. That's why I sacrificed to go to school. That's why I got the degree that I got. Preach, sister. L- literally. <laughs> literally. Never saw. Jennifer's my sister. So. <laughs> but also I agree with everything. So that's, that's the call-in culture then. And I think the, the secret or the key to having a good education is that you can leverage those connections once, once you get to that level. And once you show that your piece of paper is as fancy as their piece of paper, you can slap that thing down on the table whenever you want and yeah. say, listen to me because I have the piece of paper uh, and the knowledge to back it up. And I earn that. So that there's, I think that was the call in culture, uh, with the ability to pull them aside and go, listen, you want this partnership, make this work. But then there's the call out element of it. And I think that I think that this went viral. And I think that it was actually the co-host of One Dish, One Mike that, that was one of the leading voices. So what what happened? How did it? How did this all go down from your perspective? What did the guy do for, for listeners that, that may live under a rock? So, What's so bad about Gar Stevenson, right? <laughs> he's, he's just an okay. He just misunderstood. So he is a retired professor from Brock University who made several disparaging remarks about Indigenous people, um, both on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, the thing People the... shouldn't have to sit through territorial acknowledgments, though, right? <laughs> if that's a whole 30 seconds of his life, he's never going right? to get back. Exactly. This poor guy. Poor, poor guy. And so he, he taught at Brock in the political science department for 31 years, right? So just let that sink in for a second. For 31 years, more than I've been alive, he has been influencing the minds of our future leaders, right? Our potential politicians, our potential lawyers, right? What do you do with a poli-sci degree? You become a politician, you become a lawyer, or you become a teacher. How influential are those three fields? Very. Right? Especially in Western civilization yeah. and in the country that we call Canada. Those are, those are pretty influential. And he shared these views in a public forum, right? So if, if he has enough for lack of a better term, balls enough to say this in a public forum. What's he saying in the privacy of a classroom, yeah. right? Not that a classroom's private, but it's not as open and as public as, um, as online. No, it isn't. So what, what was he saying then? What did his students hear? Um, so from that, so these remarks were made. Um, I took the time, like my, my 
colleague over here to write a letter. Uh, I blasted it on social media. Like, I did everything I could to get this thing out there. Oh, that thing caught fire. And then, and then next thing you know, I woke up the next day, and it was, it was shared a lot of times. It was tweeted out, so on and so forth. Um, and like you said, they said the Brock University set a meeting to remove his uh, status, his honorific status. Um, I, per- I went to the meeting with Celeste Smith, another fine Indigenous woman who took the time to write a letter and was quite vocal about it. Um, she's also a Brock student. Um, and it was approved nine to nothing to revoke his status. Right on, right on. Yeah. And then the irony is, is that he said that there was something wrong with universal uh, acceptance of, of actually taking away his honorary status at Brock University on social media. So <laughs> I think the thing that we have to understand is, is that this isn't going away. This issue isn't going away. It's part of the reason to be engaged. And part of being engaged, again, to bring it back to education, is to get that post-secondary education. It gives clarity and credibility to a voice, as yeah. you said, Carl. Uh, but... The other thing is that not to lose one's indigenous identity while one does it, to understand going into it that the, that the policies of assimilation don't actually have to translate to the individual. You can retain your indigenous self while receiving that education and give yourself that voice on two fronts. Never stop learning. It's, it's an extra task for us, actually, to continue to grow as indigenous people but also to continue to gain that Western education so that that voice remains strong. Why are we doing it? Not for revenge. We're actually doing it because we're trying to help our non-Indigenous friends and allies, and even if they're not allies and they're just jerks like like this ex-professor, <laughs> uh, he still needs help. And it's what we bring as Indigenous people. We value all life on Turtle Island including people who, gosh, would just wish that we'd go away and be quiet. Now's not the time for that. That's that resistance. That's how you resist effectively. So to sort of recap where this episode's gone, we started We started with why it's good for Indigenous people to go to school and yeah. it's knowledge, knowledge is power. Now we're at a point where we talked about the state of current schools. And unfortunately, I don't think that the Garth Stevenson incident is something that's isolated to Brock. Yeah. But because we have Sean Vanderkliss and because we have Jennifer Dockstader, we were able to, to highlight it. And Celeste Smith and, and others, of course, that are out there doing the work and putting in the time and, and making the, the great personal sacrifice that it is to fight these causes, too. So that's a snapshot of where we are, yeah. is that we're lucky in Niagara that we had just enough tools to be able to push back against the Garth Stevensons of the world. But now look Looking forward, I think Brock did everything right. I don't think they could have done anything differently. They can't go back and change the fact that they hired this guy. They went and unanimously, within a lightning fast window for a post-secondary institution, changed everything. So what's the lesson to other schools now? We've got our people primed, ready to go. We're putting them in the position where our young, your boys, my girls, they're going to go and they're going to light these post-secondary institutions on fire. What do the post-secondary institutions need to do to to get ready for, for the brilliant minds of our young people coming in? So let's talk about truth and reconciliation and what it actually means. At this point, one of the things that Senator Sinclair has talked about is is that it's now time in Canadian history for all levels, whether it be educational, government, or whatever, health, everything, every aspect of Canadian space, 
to create the space for indigenous people to exist. So to our indigenous people who are out there obtaining that post-secondary education, you're there to learn to critically think. And I know of a people, our people are so great at critical thinking. It's time to challenge the institutions. The institutions need to respond by allowing that challenge to happen, encouraging that intellectual discourse that exists so that the university can expand its knowledge. They're not as smart as they think they are. They really are not. They only know what they know. So now it's time to take traditional ways of learning, which is that young people are actually teachers to the supposed teachers. And that's actually the way that it works. It's about relationships. That's how we start to bring it together. That indigenous student with that indigenous knowledge who speaks up in a class is every bit as valuable as the PhD professor who's teaching the class. And that's a good lesson for the university to understand. Again, it's about listening. It's about sitting down and listening. I said sit down, shut up, and listen to the women. (laughs) How about just plain sitting down and listening for the universities at this point so they can actually learn and grow the way that they need to? Preach, sister. (laughs) I love saying that. Do better, be better. What, What does it look like to you? What's the ideal... For me, like for me, a lot of times in the the era of Justin Trudeau, we focus on truth and reconciliation. Um, I really think that that we're getting too far ahead of ourselves. We really need to acknowledge the universities, institutions, government bodies need to acknowledge what has happened and what is happening. They don't need to, in my in my opinion, I don't need you to create a. And I mean no disrespect. I don't need you to create a space for me right this second. I don't need you to open a door for me right this second. Um, it's it's like it's like a person who was abused is now being treated okay by the abuser. Do you know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. simply because yeah. you're Good treating analogy. me okay doesn't mean that we're better. It doesn't mean that we're reconciling. I'm glad that you're opening the space for me. I really am. I'm glad you opened the door. But there's more to that, right? When it comes to a healthy relationship, we need to acknowledge every single aspect of it. Um, so the and I think you really hit it on the head when you said, "Just shut up, sit down, listen." Right? This is when it comes to 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 growth, personal growth, emotional growth. You need it's it's driven by the person who is victimized, not by the victimizer. So I don't need anything from Brock University other than to sit down, listen to what the issues are at hand. Um, with Brock Stevenson, or sorry, Garth, Brock Stevenson. <laughs> with Garth Stevenson. Yeah, exactly. You know, with that Garth old, Brock. that guy. <laughs> um, that's what I respect about Brock, is the fact that they sat there, they took the time, they listened to every single buddy. Every single, every single buddy. My words are so off today. They listened to every single person. They read every letter. Um, I'm assuming different parts of each letter that was written. Something was accomplished. Um, when Celeste Smith wrote the letter about removing the portrait of Tecumseh, I don't. I'm not sure if you talked about it, but I know I didn't talk about it. And what happens the next day is that portrait was taken down. That's right. Yeah. Right. That's right. Um, I the wording in the letter that was re- um, that was released from Brock University was very specific to some of the wording that I use. Like I would almost say it was as if they copied and pasted some portions of it. And I'm assuming in within your letter what you what you're finding is that there is a lot of understanding of what what you wanted, right? And 
that's what I admire about Brock is they've taken the time to listen. Um, and that's what I would encourage any university to do is listen to your students because you can drive truth and reconciliation all you want. But until you actually get something behind it, it means nothing. It's, it's a lip service at best. Hey, I've um, got to give a shout out to Michelle Elise Burnett, who is actually on the board of trustees. Yeah. And she actually called me on her way to the university. I'm going to find out what's going on with this, and I'm going to take care of this. Yeah. Again, our people are actually engaged and involved and starting to gain influence. And yeah. so hats off to the president of the university for actually doing what we've recommended, which is to sit down and listen. Yeah. He did actually listen. And thank you to our people who are out there all the time fighting on our behalf, beyond the public, behind the scenes, doing that hard work. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, I, I, I think that's part of it with Brock is that, I mean, I've gone back and forth, right, on, on Brock and on how engaged they are. Right. And, but, I mean, this, for me, somebody that's sort of teetering on the brink, well, I don't know if Brock is really that engaged. But to see this, it's like my eyes shot open. Like, yeah. I, I didn't believe it as it yeah. was unfolding. Like, I could, I was, I was not, um, and I would say I was more of a passenger in the Garth Stevenson train watching everything. I was reading the news after it was happening, and, and I was really impressed with how the university was able to move so fast. And I, I have to believe that it's because they had a, a culture of of accepting indigenous perspectives because they have indigenous people on staff yeah. that are there and that are part of the university people that come to our socials people that come to our different community events people that participate in our fundraisers and mm-hmm. play in the euchre tournaments and do all the cool things that, that we love to do as a community or, or put on celebration of nation festivals whatever it is <laughs> there's different people that are involved with brock that are they're actually an active dynamic part of our community every day and i think that's so cool it actually is it shows so why should we go to uh, why should we attend post-secondary institutions right there right because you get that accreditation you get that when when you think of education and the purpose of education it's kind of drifted from the the con the philosophical concept of just purely learning now it's who you are and what you know and what you've achieved. That's kind of what education stands for now, right? That's how Western society views it. Um, and now we're there. Like you said, we have these people in high places who are doing what they can to create profound change. Um, and to the universities and institutions, if you think this generation is strong, watch out for our generation. Watch out for Carl's kids. Watch out for my kids. It's, it's, yeah. it's going to be crazy. Oh, without a doubt. Auntie's nieces are going to be badass. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make sure of it. <laughs> speaking speaking of badass and acquiring knowledge and learning, I want to give a shout out to our friends uh, Andrew and Caleb Cotter of the Iroquois History and Legends podcast. If you like learning, give give a listen to their podcast. They're they're a couple of white guys that live right in the heart of Haudenosaunee territory and said that people don't know how cool the Six Nations are. So let's tell everybody how cool they are, and they're like i think they had intended to make a couple dozen episodes andrew said when when he was right here on this show and they're almost 50 episodes in and and they're just scratching the surface of the awesome history of the iroquois people so uh when you're done listening to every single episode of one dish one mic and then all of the other shows in the niagara podcasters (laughs) network the other wonderful shows then go ahead and give a listen to iroquois history and legends podcast featuring andrew and caleb cotter 
on that note, we I think we've covered all the bases, but I'd, I'd love it if, if we could give a traveling thought, which is a thing that we do on One Dish, One Mic, which is a sort of profound nougat of wisdom for the people as they travel off and, and contemplate all the wonderful things they may or may not have learned on this particular episode of One Dish, One Mic. Uh, I'd, I'd like to give a traveling thought for what's, what's your back-to-school message for Indigenous people going to school or for non-Indigenous people intending to engage with Indigenous people coming to their schools. What's the word, Big Bird? I like the fact that you use the word nougat. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you. It kind of made me hungry for candy. Yeah. Is that, what is a nougat? It's like a little cookie thing, right? With dipped in chocolate, I think. Um, for me, it is and always will be is an understanding of oneself. Um, whoever you are, wherever you find yourself in this equation, understand that you have to be you regardless of what's thrown at you. So if, if you if you're, find yourself in a position where you're at a post-secondary institution and racism and, and colonialism and bigotry and hatred and imperialism and all those isms um, are affecting you, don't get discouraged, don't get beat down, continue to be who you are. Understand that there are people within the Niagara region who are there, who have your back, who support you as an individual. Um, on the flip side of things, if, if you're a professor and you find yourself in a post-secondary institution and you have an Indigenous person there, take the time. Take that extra step. Um, I know they say that uh, when you attend post-secondary that you get lost in the amount of students that you have. And it's hard to create those bonds and it's hard to make that connection. But Indigenous people, we need that extra push. Um when you're 18, 19 years old and you're not indigenous, the, what you're thinking was what you're thinking about is what are you going to do after post-secondary institution? Am I going to become a doctor? Am I going to be a lawyer? Um, what's my life going to be like? For an indigenous person, they're still contemplating whether or not we should go to school. Is post-secondary education appropriate for us? Is it something that that meshes with my family and my values? I know what happened to my grandma, so should I still go? Right. They still hear the the effects of residential schools. We're still being taught about John A. Macdonald and whether or not we should remove his statue and whether or not Canada still wants to idolize him. So if you find yourself in the position to be a professor or to be a teacher, take that time, meet that Indigenous student, shake their hands, smile, and be uh, be the light in the darkness that is this country. Hells yeah. Right out. Right out. What's the message? I think of the prophecy that, that uh, we are in these times of prophecy. And actually just listening to, to the prophecy of the gold and the silver snake, Canada representing the silver snake, and actually we're at those times where those snakes are upon our people and we are gathered. And we are supposed to, at this point, create that weapon. And that weapon is aimed directly into the hearts and the minds of that gold and that silver snake to produce a change that brings about peace. And I can't think of any better way to do it that, than through post-secondary education, retaining one's identity and valuing, we already value our Indigenous knowledge, actually using Western education as a method with which to sharpen that arrow so that it pierces the minds and the hearts of the system so that that peace can be achieved. We're looking at the potential for worldwide peace should we do that. It takes everyone at this point for every Indigenous student who's in post-secondary education, we understand, those of us who have gone through 
come to us for support and help. We're still a community. We're still people that work together, and we will succeed together. And it's not about argument so much as it's about the support that we can offer. As to the institutions, continue to learn, continue to grow, continue to keep your minds open, and actually create those relationships with our people. Get to know us. You'll find out that you actually like us. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. That's a, that's an important message. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna borrow the the AI thinking, the ancestral intelligence, and just a reminder to the post secondary institutions that that our knowledge is valuable. One of the things that that I learned is that the model of the two row is that first you establish peace. And I think we, we may be in that place where post-secondary institutions have stabilized things to the fact that there's a peaceful coexistence now between education and Indigenous people on, on some levels. Build some schools in those northern communities, though, for the love of goodness. <laughs> like, get on that yesterday. Stop building yes. pipelines and build schools in northern communities. That's Canada's responsibility. Get on that, like, yesterday. Stop shipping kids to Thunder Bay uh, from uh, dozens of remote and northern communities, removing them from their homes. Just build the school right in the community and and take care of that part yeah. but but that being said here in southern ontario we we do have the gift that we have some level of peace now what's starting to happen is as, as our students engage i think we're getting to a point of respect between the students and the post-secondary institution and it's not the onus just isn't on the indigenous students to respect the institution the institution also has to respect the students and then lastly, once that happens, then the friendship can form. And once you build that friendship between the Indigenous students and the institutions and that friendship between the community and the institutions and the schools, that's where some, some truly great things are, are finally going to start happening. So do better, be better, to, to quote Sean. That's right. <laughs> hire, hire Indigenous professors as well. Hire Indigenous support Absolutely. staff. Do Niagara College and Brock both have a number of Indigenous people on their staff, finally. They have room to add more, especially in the professor department, but, yeah. but they're doing, they're, they're trying, so credit where credit's due, but, but bring, bring those minds on board and follow that framework of peace, respect, friendship. Everything will be hunky-dory in the end. That's right. Absolutely. You've been listening to One Dish, One Mike on the Niagara Podcasters Network right here in the pop-up podcast studio in our hashtag STC, <laughs> hashtag RSTC, here in St. Catharines. Anyways, right. uh, listen soon. We're, we're going to be releasing a special episode that we taped live at the library where we actually screened You Are on Indian Land and we had a live studio audience ask questions and interact. We're going to be releasing that episode in an effort to promote our next appearance at the Niagara Falls Public Library. Sean and I will be screening six miles deep at the Niagara Falls Public Library on October 3rd. So you're all invited. If you're listening to this right now, you're invited to the Niagara Falls Public Library on October 3rd at 6 p.m. to watch a screening of Six Miles Deep and then to engage in a discussion that will be made into a podcast afterwards. Yes, sir. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Love you guys. Nagiwa. <laughs> Thanks for listening to One Dish, One Mic on the Niagara Podcasters Network. Your hosts are Carl Dockstader and Sean Vanderklis. Recording is done at the Pop-Up Podcast Studio at Cowork Niagara, home of Niagara's independent workforce. Executive producer is Trevor Twining. Production assistance by Daniel Twining. Show artwork by Mitch Baird. Music by DJ Shub, used with permission. If you have show ideas or comments, you can reach us on Twitter at Niagara Podcasts. <laughs>